This morning's scripture reading is going to be from Romans 8, verses 5 through 8. For those who live according to the flesh of their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. good to be here with you and trust that everyone is doing well. 1 Samuel chapter 15, we have a statement in verse number 1 of that chapter that seems to be so simple and so straightforward and we would expect that Saul would have had no trouble following it and yet we know of course that he did. The Bible says that Samuel said to Saul, The Lord has sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore, heed the voice, or excuse me, heed the words of the Lord. Again, a very straightforward statement, a very straightforward request, and yet it's one that Saul struggled with greatly. In the following verses of the chapter, what we learn is that God's command to Saul was to go unto the Amalekites and to utterly destroy them all. He wasn't to leave anyone or anything alive. And this was because of the Amalekites' abuse of God's people in years gone by. They were going to be dealt with because of their sin. And yet as Saul and the army of Israel went to the Amalekites, of course, they did not obey the will of God fully because Saul left King Agag alive and he left the choices of the spoils alive, if you will. And so when Samuel came back to Saul and confronted him about all of this, the Bible tells us in verse number 18, the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they're consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back King Agag of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites, but the people took of the plunder and the sheep and the oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, Uh, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to heathen the fat of rams, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul argued his own case that he had kept and obeyed the will of God. But the truth of the matter is that although Saul had obeyed some of the will of God, 
Saul's lack of completing God's instructions in their entirety equaled rebellion to the will of God. What is it that Saul teaches us about spirituality? Saul teaches us that spirituality is more than doing some spiritual activity. It is complete and total submission to God's will. As we think about being spiritual, as we think about spirituality, we recognize, of course, that there are a number of spiritual disciplines in which one can engage. Things that are right and good and ought to be done and ought to be engaged in by the people of God. Things like prayer, things like reading the Bible, things like memorizing scripture, singing songs of praise, uh, meditating on God's word, evangelizing, serving. There are a number of things that God's word will say are imperative for Christians to observe and to do. But these actions in and of themselves do not constitute spirituality. The actions in and of themselves and the actions by themselves do not constitute spirituality. The Bible tells us, there we go, the Bible tells us that these actions, although done right and in the right way, can actually be empty and meaningless. Like what we learn in Isaiah chapter 1 when God through the prophet Isaiah told the people, I have no delight in your sacrifices. I have no delight in your offerings. In fact, stop bringing them to me. Why, God would, why would God say that? Well, because although they were observing the action and although the action looked right on the surface, there was still much lacking. Because action alone without submission to God's will does not make a person spiritual. Action alone without submission to God's will does not mean that God is pleased. So I can say and I can do all the right things, but it all may be for nothing. Remember that spirituality, to be spiritual, as the Bible defines it, means basically this. To live a life devoted to God on his terms. Being a spiritual person means that I am a person who lives my life in devotion to God, but it's on his terms, not mine. It begins, as we studied a couple of weeks ago, with a spiritual birth, John chapter 3. Jesus said, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. John 3 and verse 5. If I'm going to be spiritual, I first have to be a Christian. Second, being spiritual includes listening to God and let him define what spirituality really is. This was our lesson last Sunday morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Remember that on the one hand, we have the wisdom and the thoughts and the teaching of men... And then on the other hand, we have the revelation of God. We have God's will given to us in the pages of Scripture, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And the Apostle Paul says, the carnal man is the one who listens to the wisdom of man, but the spiritual man is the one who listens to God. But it's not just listening to God. It's not just knowing what God wants. It's more than that. 
It's submitting ourselves to what it is that he says. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 to 8. I want you to look with me this morning at Romans chapter 8, first of all, and let's define the principle for us. Spirituality, being spiritual, is about submitting to God. It's about submitting to the will of God. And Paul will paint this picture for us clearly in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and following. I would encourage you in your study of Romans chapter 8 to study it closely, of course, in light of the entirety of the book, but particularly starting in chapter 5. And read together chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8. And notice the progression of the discussion that's going on in the book. Chapter 5, what we lost in Adam, we've more than regained in Christ. Chapter 6, the Christian and his relationship to sin. And the answer is, he has no relationship to sin. The reason is because he has died to sin. And so therefore, sin no longer rules over him. It no longer has dominion over him. Chapter 7, but what if that were not the case? What if it were the case that we were still laboring under some law system, the old law, if you will, the law of Moses? What if Jesus had not died? What if there were no justification, no righteousness through obedient faith in Christ? What then? Chapter 7, but chapter 8 Thanks be to God that that Jesus has come, that he has died, that being right with God is not dependent upon me and my own merit and my own goodness, but rather it's dependent upon my willingness to submit to and obey God. So in Romans chapter 8 then, as Paul begins to describe the blessings of being a Christian, he talks about what it's like. He talks about the Christian life. I want you to look with me in Romans chapter 8 verses 1 to 4, and I want you to notice the law of the Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. We'll call this the law of the Spirit. Listen to what Paul says. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. I want us to notice in these four verses, four main points. Four points in four verses that are important for us to note. Four points. Number one, Note that there is a state of non-condemnation. Romans 8 and verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation. The word condemnation is a judicial term. It's a legal term and it has to do with a judicial pronouncement or sentence of condemnation. And the apostle Paul says there is a state of standing or living or being uncondemned. That stands opposite of what we learn in chapter 5 and verse number 18. Number two, notice to whom this belongs. There is a state of non-condemnation and this belongs to, number one, those who are in Christ Jesus. There is now therefore no condemnation, Paul says, to those who are in Christ Jesus. What does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? Go back to chapter 6 and verse 3. We are baptized into Christ Jesus. Do you not know, Paul says, that so many of us, as we're baptized into Christ Jesus, we're baptized into his death. 
So there is a state of non-condemnation, and that belongs to those who are Christians. Second, look at verse 4. It belongs to those who walk according to the Spirit. It belongs to those who walk according to the Spirit. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. There is a state of non-condemnation or being free of judicial sentence. This belongs to those who are in Christ. This belongs to those who walk according to the Spirit. And notice, third, that the law of Moses could not accomplish this. Paul, go, Paul tells us in verse number three and four that the law could not, what the law could not do, that's the law of Moses, it could not accomplish this state of non-condemnation. So who did it? That's number four. The law of the spirit of life, he says, has set us free from the law of sin and death. There is a state of non-condemnation. This belongs to those who are in Christ who walk according to the Spirit. The law of Moses could not accomplish it. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has accomplished it. It's Christ that's made it, made it possible. Look closer at this phrase in verse number 2, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The literal meaning is that the law of the life-giving Spirit, if you will, it is the life-giving Spirit's law through Jesus Christ that has made this state of non-condemnation possible. So this life-giving Spirit's law through Jesus Christ has made it possible for me to live in a state of freedom and non-condemnation if it is the case that I am one who is willing to walk according to the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? Notice this. The word walk designates action or lifestyle or state of being. The word walk designates action or lifestyle or state of being. So when Paul talks about life belonging to those who walk in the Spirit, he is talking about their lifestyle. He is talking about their action. He's talking about who they are or what defines them. So all of us have one of two possibilities. Either we walk according to the flesh or we walk according to the spirit. What does it mean to walk according to the flesh? The word flesh designates a lifestyle oriented to the things of the world. The one who walks or lives according to the flesh is one whose entire being is controlled by the lusts and by the desires of the flesh. All of the things that exist in this world that tempt us, all of the things that the devil uses to try and trick us into sinning, Pleasure and greed and desire or whatever the case may be, the person whose lifestyle is determined by the flesh is the person whose entire being is controlled by those things. But then on the other hand, the person who walks or lives according to the Spirit, this is one whose lifestyle is oriented to and determined by the law of the Spirit of life. The law of the Spirit is our compass, it's our guide. We... We live by its direction, so the law of the Spirit. There is a state of freedom or non-condemnation that belong to Christians who dedicate their lives to following the direction or the instructions of the law of the Spirit that are found in the pages of God's Word. Through Christ Jesus, the governing principle and controlling power of sin have been replaced by the governing principle and the controlling power of life. 
What's the law of the Spirit all about? The law of the Spirit is all about directing us or guiding us so that we can live in a way that is pleasing to God. And by living in a way that is pleasing to God, we therefore have, we therefore have peace and joy and hope knowing that we live in a state of non-condemnation. But it all revolves around my willingness to submit to the Spirit's law. But now, what does it mean or what does it take to live by the Spirit's law? Here's the next section. Look at the mind of the Spirit, Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. I know we're hurrying through some of this, but it's necessary for the sake of time. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 to 8. Listen to what Paul says. He says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Notice again some things that are found in these verses. There are two mentalities... There are two results, and there are two causes. Two mentalities. Number one, to think or to set your mind. Notice that Paul uses this terminology. He says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things. What does it mean to set your mind or to think? It literally means to fix your attention toward it. It's the idea of focusing on it or being preoccupied with it. So what are we directing our thoughts toward? Well, just like we can either live according to the flesh or live according to the Spirit, we can direct our thoughts toward the things of the flesh or the things of the Spirit. So the person, Paul says, who directs their thoughts toward the things of the flesh, the carnally-minded person, that's someone whose thinking is entirely focused upon and directed by the flesh. That's what Paul described in verses 1 to 4. A spiritually-minded person, on the other hand, designates one thinking being focused entirely on and directed by the Spirit. The spiritually-minded person, the mentality of the one who's trying to be spiritual, is a mentality of one that is committed to Scripture as its authoritative moral and spiritual compass. I'll say that again. The spiritually-minded person is the person who is committed to Scripture as his authoritative moral and spiritual compass. The spiritually minded person then is the one who says, I am going to think the way that God wants me to think and I'm going to allow the scripture to influence my thinking. I'm going to allow the scripture to point my thoughts in the direction in which God wants them to go so that then my actions will follow. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 5. Two mentalities. One who thinks uh, or whose thoughts are directed by the things of the world. One whose thoughts or attention is directed by the Spirit of God, by Scripture. Two two results. What does Paul say the result of these two ways of thinking uh, are? Well, he says to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You remember that in talking about being spiritual, we're literally talking about a life and death situation here. To be carnally minded, he said, is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Life, Jesus said, I came to give life and that more abundantly, John 10 and verse 10. The spiritually minded person enjoys the abundant life now. Peace is had with oneself, inner peace. Peace is had with one's neighbor, 
relational peace. Peace is had with God. And Paul says if we're going to experience what it is to enjoy an abundant life in this world and eternal life with God, and if we're going to know what it is to be peaceful, that's only going to happen as a result of being spiritually minded. Two mentalities. The carnal mind that thinks and has its attention directed by the things of the world. The spiritual mind which thinks and has its direction, uh, attention directed by the things of God. Two results. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And two causes. Two causes. Look close. Look close at verse 7. Paul says, to be, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. Zoom in on that word, subject. The word subject or submit is literally to acknowledge an authority and to obey it. The reason why the carnally minded person is carnally minded The reason why their result is going to be death is because they have not willfully surrendered themselves and placed themselves under the authority of God. That's the point of the passage. The carnally minded person, Paul says, cannot and will not submit themselves to God's law and so therefore they are God's enemy. The spiritually minded person is exactly the opposite. To subject or to submit implies willingly surrendering or willingly placing oneself under the authority of another. And in this case, we're talking about God and the will of God. And so the spiritually minded person then is one who joyfully and willfully and gladly places himself under the authority of God and under the direction of God's law. Notice, by the way, this important point. Peace and enmity with God are measured by submission to God's law. Peace or enmity with God are measured by submission to God's law. That tells me two things. Number one, that tells me that the two are inseparable. There is no spirituality apart from the law or the will of God. There is no way of living a life that is pleasing to God. There is no way of being right with God that is detached from the word of God. Number two, that tells me that to reject God's law is also to reject God. I can't have one without the other. To reject God's law is also to reject God. So, we have the law of the Spirit, and we have the mind of the Spirit. The law of the Spirit in Romans 8 verses 1 to 4 tells me basically this, that if I am willing to live my life in accordance with the Scripture, with what the Spirit teaches me in the pages of God's Word, then I will live in a state of non-condemnation. But I'll only be willing to do that if I'm willing to have the mind of the Spirit, verses 5 through 8, which means I submit myself to what the Spirit teaches me, to what the Scripture says, and so therefore my mentality is changed. The way that I think about things, my worldview, it's all directed by Scripture. That's what being spiritually minded is all about. Now, 
In the time we have left, let's look at the principle illustrated. Look at Romans chapter 10, verses 1 to 3. We have a perfect illustration of what being a spiritually minded person is not, just a couple of chapters later. Paul says, brethren, Romans 10, verse 1, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record, or I bear them witness, that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. Notice what Paul says about the Jews. He says, number one, they had a zeal for God. And zeal is certainly not a bad thing. The word zeal indicates passion, it indicates enthusiasm, and it even indicates sincerity. And as we survey what the New Testament teaches us about the children of Israel as a whole, we will find evidence that suggests that they were passionate and enthusiastic and sincere about keeping the law of God, at least to a degree. Read Acts 22 in verse number 3 where the Apostle Paul speaks about himself and talking about how, uh, I'm sorry, where the Apostle Paul is told by uh, some in Jerusalem about those Jews in Jerusalem who are dedicated to keeping the things of the law of God. Paul says the same thing about himself in Philippians chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. They had a zeal for God. But even the most enthusiastic and sincere person can be wrong. Zeal is good. Zeal is required. Zeal is necessary. But zeal can be misdirected. And zeal that is misdirected, as zealous and as sincere as it may be, is useless. I bear them record that they have a zeal for God, but their zeal is not according to knowledge. Now, how is that evidenced? Look at verse 3. Because they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, we're not talking about the righteous character of God here. We're talking about the plan, the righteousness that comes from God. We're talking about the the way that God makes man right with him. God has a plan for making man right, and he says they are ignorant of this plan that God has. Well, what are they doing then? They're seeking to establish their own righteousness. God has a way to make men right with him. Paul says they're not listening to what God says about how man is right with him, but rather they're seeking to be right with him on their own terms. They are ignorant of God's righteousness and they are seeking to establish their own. We want to be right with you, Lord, based on the system that we see fit. And what does all of that mean? Look at the end of verse number 3. They have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. Remember Romans chapter 8. The law of the Spirit and the mind of the Spirit. To be right with God is to submit oneself to the will of God. To be spiritually minded and to be a spiritual person is to live a life of devotion to God on God's terms. What does Paul say about the Jews? They were zealous for God. They had an enthusiasm, and that's good. There are all kinds of people in the world who are zealous for God and who have an enthusiasm for God, and that's good. But their zeal, their enthusiasm, was misdirected. It was pointed in the wrong direction. They were not focusing on God's will for their lives. They were focusing on their will for their lives. They were trying to define being right with God according to their own terms. And the result of that is that they had not submitted to God. Now let's make some application for ourselves. The principle applied. 
We go back full circle now to where we began, 1 Samuel chapter 15. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, Saul pleads his case. In fact, in pleading his case, he points the finger at the other people. God told Saul something very simple, and his simple instructions were, go to the Amalekites and utterly destroy them. Saul didn't do it. Saul made excuses. His excuses were, the people did it. That excuse wasn't going to work because Saul was king. Saul's other excuse was, but Samuel, you don't understand. We, we just held back the best things so that we could offer them and sacrifice to God. Don't you realize, Samuel, that I know that God said utterly destroy them, but here's the thing. I want to worship him. I want to make sacrifice to him. And so therefore, I left all of these animals alive, and I brought back all of this gold and silver and all of it. The reason that I did it is because I want to offer them to God. The problem is that that's not what God said that he wanted. And so even in what might be described as partial obedience, Samuel fell, or excuse me, Saul fell under the condemnation of complete rebellion. When we're talking about being spiritual, being spiritual involves total submission and complete surrender to the will and the service of God. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, you remember this passage well. The Apostle Paul says that our obligation as children of God is to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. That means that every morning when I get up out of my bed, my mentality should be, Lord, I am presenting myself to you this day as your servant. Every moment that you give me, every thought that I think, every word that I speak, everything that I do, every penny that I earn, every ounce of food that I eat, every uh, ounce of energy that you give me, it's all from you and it is all for you. That is our obligation. Total and complete submission. That involves not only our actions, but that also involves our heart. It involves our mind it involves our mentality. Remember that Saul teaches us it is possible to do spiritual things and yet not be spiritual. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 and following. Remember, Jesus gave examples of the Pharisees. He said in verse number 1, don't do your righteous acts to be seen of men. And then he talked about praying and he talked about fasting and he talked about tithing. And he said, look, the scribes and the Pharisees, they do all of these things, but they're doing them for the wrong reasons. The actions in and of themselves were not wrong. The motive was wrong. They were doing it to be seen of men. What does that mean for me? Well, that means a couple of things. That means, number one, that it is possible for me to observe what we might call all of the trappings of Christianity, but without my heart being in it, it means absolutely nothing. I could come to every worship service on Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and Wednesday evening. I could sit through all of the classes and sing and but if my heart's not in the right place, it's not doing me any good. I could deceive myself into thinking, you know what, I'm a pretty good person. I'm a Christian and I'm mostly faithful. No, I, you know what, sometimes I choose to do other things than serve God. Sometimes I make some things of the world more important than coming to worship God. But that's okay, I'm still good. Partial obedience is complete rebellion. 
Partial submission is total rejection. That's what Samuel teaches us. It is possible for me to do spiritual things and yet not be spiritual. It is possible for me to read my Bible and pray every day. It is possible for me to have an ability, some gift, if you will, in teaching others. Maybe I start a YouTube channel or a big group on Facebook and I'm doing these spiritual activities and I'm leading other people in these spiritual activities. But look, if I haven't given every ounce of myself to the Lord, then all of that stuff is useless for me. might be good and helpful for other people, but it will do me no good. I've got to give myself entirely to the Lord. Second, If I take it upon myself to pick and choose which parts of God's will I'm going to submit to, then trying to be spiritual is basically useless and empty for me as well. Maybe it's the case, for example, that I recognize the need to submit fully and entirely to God's will, but maybe uh, there are some parts of God's will that I don't like. Maybe, for example, I prefer to drink alcohol on occasion. That's a problem because God's will says don't do it. Maybe there's a a situation in which, you know what, I, I, I think it's okay as a business person to be a little bit dishonest here and there. Nope, that's not right. Maybe fill in the blank. You see, God's will and following God's will is an all or nothing proposition. It's not as if I have the ability to say I'm going to be totally and completely submitted to the will of God and yet read God's word, see that it says something that I don't like and say, you know what, I'm going to ignore that part. Or, you know what, I'm going to readjust that part. I'm going to explain it in a different way because I don't like what that means for my life. That's not total submission to the will of God. Total submission means giving him everything, my heart, my soul, my thoughts, my actions, every moment of my life. But it also means not arguing with me when he says, this is what I want done, which is exactly where Saul lost it, 1 Samuel chapter 15. Being spiritual means complete submission to God's will when it's easy And when it's not so easy, every ounce of my being belongs to God. Lord willing, we have one more context to look at in this study, and I hope to do it next Sunday morning. Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 1 talks about those who are spiritual. When a brother is overtaken in a trespass, the Apostle Paul will say, You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness or gentleness, considering yourselves, he says, lest you also be tempted. What does it mean to be spiritual in that passage? Go back and read this week Galatians chapter 5 in its entirety, and then Galatians chapter 6 perhaps will make a little more sense, and you'll be ready for our study next Sunday morning. We're going to offer the Lord's invitation now, and it may be that there's someone here who has a desire to respond. The Lord's invitation is, uh, is open to, to all people. And that's because God's desire is for all people to be saved. God wants all people to come to a knowledge of the truth, 1 Timothy chapter 2. He sent his son to die on the cross for the salvation of all mankind, John chapter 3. So what God requires, remember, complete submission. God says, you've got to believe that my son is the son of God, John 8 and verse 24. 
God says you have to be willing to repent of your sins, Luke 13 and verse 3. You have to be willing to confess your faith, Romans 10 and verse 9 and 10. And you have to be willing to be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, Acts 2 and verse number 38. And if you're willing to do all of those things, then the Bible says that God will add us to the church, the body of his son, the body of the saved, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 28. This morning, are you a Christian? Have you obeyed the gospel? But you know, as you examine your life, you think, you know, I've, I've not been totally submitted to God's will. I'm not giving myself completely and entirely over to him. Sometimes I serve him. Sometimes I'm faithful. But you know, there are these things of the world that sometimes I, I give them precedence. I need to make a change. Maybe there are some things that God's word teaches that you say, you know, I don't really like that. In fact, I've been wrestling and struggling with that and To be honest with you, I haven't wanted to accept it. Can we pray for you? Can we encourage you? Can we open up God's word and study with you? Whatever your need might be, won't you come forward and let it be known?